It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. It's play hard, work hard, folks, where industry comes to talk in the first hour. It is a play hard segment. Then we go to the second hour where it's off to work. A little bit more serious talk, if you will. But in the first hour, we've got Sterling joining us here. How are you doing today, Sterling? Doing great, Jace. Thanks for having me. Well, people might be saying, Sterling, who's Sterling? Well, let me tell you who Sterling is. He comes to us via oil and gas industry through his childhood, which he spent out in Saudi Arabia. There was a company called Ramco, which became a Ramco after it became nationalized. Is that right? Or how does that work? Sold? Was uh, it? Yeah, I think so. We, we moved over there in 82, and uh, then sometime after that, it was uh, nationalized to Saudi Aramco. Yep. Saudi Aramco. Saudi okay. Yep. And But you grew up there essentially on the physical geographical location known as Saudi Arabia. Yep, I grew up in a, a compound called Dahran and uh, basically like an American military base. Uh, you know, commissary, theater, dining hall, that kind of stuff, fenced in, security. Exclusively oil and gas workers? Yeah, everybody there S- worked Supply for chain? Yep. Oh, just the, even the company? Oh, it was just company. Oh, not, not even, you know, somebody from some other... No, not even contractors. They That's what I'm outside. saying, yeah, yeah supply chain. Li- yep, yep. But you had everybody like my my neighbor uh, his dad worked on rigs my dad worked in communications the guy next to us worked in uh, like some sort of um, oil uh Processing. I'm not even sure exactly. So everybody there was involved in the process. Yeah. So here's the deal, folks. The crude life community. Boy, we really have a crude life community here. I mean, when we talk about oil and gas communities, this is 100% an oil and gas community. I mean, we always say that the oil and gas community is the CEO to the roughneck to the cafe owner in the local town. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's in America. What we're talking about here with you is a completely different interpretation and definition of what it means to be an oil and gas community. You had a school there too, didn't you? Yeah, the school went up into uh, middle school, ninth grade. You know, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, living over there was like living in small town, ideal America. You know, virtually no crime. Nobody there was divorced. You know, if you were divorced, you had to leave, that kind of stuff. So you grew up a sort of kind of a warped view of how things were, but uh, at the same time, I'm a perfect example of somebody whose entire life was influenced by oil and gas, and yet I had really little day-to-day contact with it. Yet, you were an American citizen. American citizen, yeah. Living in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Traveling back and forth, sometimes by yourself when you're older. Yeah, you. They get basically they ship all the teenagers out after about ninth grade because alcohol is illegal in the country, you know. So I was going to a boarding school, and I would fly back to Saudi Arabia twice a year by myself. Great trip. Sixteen, legal to drink on the plane. Love to talk more about that, and we will, ladies and gentlemen, because Sterling Saudi stories. That's the working title right now, which Sterling would like to have changed as soon as possible. Uh, we're we're going to be doing weekly Sterling Saudi stories, but not only from Sterling, but the interesting part about this is is that this what was the name of the town again? Dahran. There was uh, four main camps: Dahran, Rastanora, Tanzania, and I 
don't remember what the other one was. But you go back 70 years. Yeah, you're talking about Aramco. Dahran was founded sometime in the late 40s, like right around the end of World War II. And that same right. camp, which started out as, you know, basically trailers in a desert, is now an oasis with a golf course and you name it. And the reason we talk about this is because uh, Sterling is one of the kids known as the Aramco Brats. Of course, he's now not a not a kid as he's got two children of his own and a wife and 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 etc. Uh, meaning house and you know the whole picket fence and the deal is that uh, he's part of a, a group or friends with a group, if you will. That actually they've got a chapter, president, a treasurer, communication, a website, and these they're known annual as annual reunions. Oh, reunions! Yeah, it's a huge community because you're talking Aramco about, brats. Yeah, you're and you're talking about some of these brats showing up at the show. They're in their eighties. You know, Holy smokes. They, they grew up over there in the 40s or they worked over there. They were in the consulate. They were at the embassy. They were in the compound. Yeah. So, you know, just uh, you're talking about tens of thousands of Americans. And it's not just in Saudi Arabia. But uh, yeah, totally unique experience. But again, you know, I come back to every opportunity I had came as a result of my dad having a job with the largest oil company in the world. All the traveling I got to do, the education I got. So it's, you know, it's. I'm pretty liberal. I believe in environmentalism. I believe in taking care of the planet. But well, your you wife works at Starbucks, so yeah. you have to be. But you absolutely cannot make things go, and you cannot build without that kind of industry. So I wish everybody had kind of gotten a view of that like I did. Yeah, it's a little bit of Sterling Saudi stories here during the play hard portion of the program. Play hard, work hard. We're going to be bringing other Aramco brats on the program here because this is a daily morning program. Now international thanks to the aramco brats and sterling with his saudi stories because right out of the gate you know we'll be an international program now because of the interweb and the way that people can download their uh shows on their handheld computers which operate as a phone you know what I'm talking about? I think iPhones are called. But, oh, by the way, folks, on the uh, Swan Energy phone lines coming up in just a bit, we are expecting a phone call from a gentleman known as Jeff Roach. He's down, I believe, in the Houston, uh, Dallas, Corpus Christi area, that side of Texas. But uh, basically what's going on is North Face has rejected an order. Now, we did a story last year on this. You can go to the crudelife.com and check it out with uh, uh, Drayton Mo uh, Mars, where Patagonia rejected his order last year, November. And this year, the media has picked up on North Face rejecting some orders. And Jeff Roach finally went... He said enough's enough on his LinkedIn account. He said enough's enough. So it's a social media scream this morning <laughs> here. I mean, boy, I tell you, people are getting upset. They're getting upset. And the idea, did you know that this is so ridiculous? Okay. North Face does fire resistant clothing. Yeah. It's stabbing yourself in the face. I mean, it's it just doesn't make any sense to me. But how? Plus, aren't their products probably created and or transported by petroleum products i just what well, where let's just take away the whole ridiculous argument and i think moochie wants to jump in here fra uh, frackleberry hound yeah moochie's her name given name given name her given name a christian name frackleberry hound is her stage name yeah and and we are recording the podcast here so technically we're on a stage so frackleberry hound no the part that i don't understand is where's the shareholders Where's the where where are the board the chairman of the board to say you can't be 
just contradicting yourself in the same sentence. Yeah. Like, I don't understand this polarity of, you know, F you. Mm -hmm. We're not going to use you when your product is made out of that. Yeah, and taking that stand, and especially in an economy like this, it's like everybody should be trying to help each other out. We should be spending money, pumping it into the economy, helping, you know, making sure things are working out right. By the way, folks, coming up later in the program, in the second half of the hour, the work hard portion, we have U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. And I'm going to ask him that question, actually. I'm going to ask him because I'm the one doing the interview. I got the bill today, man. Jenica got, has, uh, she's busy tracking down the uh, Texas Railroad Commission. Oh, nice. And, yeah, she's got Christy Craddock lined up. And then also uh, she's got somebody in Wyoming and uh, another person in um i forget where but she's got some big big ticket big ticket items as well uh but u.s senator krevin kramer in the second half of the program we're gonna have a little bit serious talk because I, I i gotta find out what's going on with this new administration coming in these federal lease bans uh also what we were just talking about as well i want to ask him ab about that so moody river band is the band that you're hearing that you're hearing not you're hearing hearing you're hearing See, it's it's play hard, man. My, I got to drink some more coffee some more here coffee this there. morning. Yep. Uh, Moody River Band is the house band that we have right now. And if you would like your band showcased, if you're an independent musician and you would like your band or music showcased here, uh, shoot us an email at studio at thecrudelife.com studio at thecrudelife.com the swan energy phone line 701-318-4946 701-318-4946 and here it comes ladies and gentlemen our guest of the honor honor of the guest hey, good, morning. good hey, good morning Jason. hey good morning how you doing here i'm good how are you oh not too bad we have you recording right now live if you don't mind oh sure great okay good Good. Good morning to you. Sterling's joining us. By the way, Sterling grew up in Saudi Arabia. Uh, his dad worked for Aramco, so he uh, worked for an oil and gas uh, uh, community. But the actual community was a uh, town with a school and all that other stuff that was only oil and gas children and families of, uh, of Aramco. Isn't that weird? Uh, not weird. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, we, we always talk about, you know, the oil and gas community is the CEO and... Uh, the roughneck and the chemist engineer and the flower shop on Main Street and the cafe owner. But, boy, over there, man, it was uh, actual just workers there. But anyway, so um, how are you doing today? Where are you out of? Uh, I live in Houston, and uh, I do most of my work in the, in, um, in the Shell and the, the plays in Texas and Louisiana. And what was the name of the company you work for? Uh, I work for a company called Houston International Equipment. Houston International Equipment, and what is it that Houston International Equipment does with the oil and gas industry? Uh, Houston International Equipment uh, serves the production side of the upstream market in the U.S., uh, and we provide chemical injection products and services to the natural gas and oil uh, uh, well sites. Okay, how's business going? You know, business is. Um, we are seeing signs of uptick. We're not. We're not seeing uh, a lot of fruit of an uptick yet. But but we are seeing some indica indications that that twenty twenty one is twenty twenty one is going to gradually open back up for us, and we're really excited for that to get our folks back to work and um, and you know start seeing uh, you know that 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 V recovery that everybody is uh, hoping for. 
We were, uh, we're right now we're kind of recording a uh, pilot program, a morning show, if you will. We're going to have a morning show in January uh, every day so that people in the industry can start their day. It's called Play Hard, Work Hard. The first hour, uh, Play Hard, which is your part of it right now, where we're going to talk a little bit more, you know, lighthearted topics and, and that sort of thing. And then the second hour, like we've got U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer coming on and a little bit okay. more, yeah, a little bit more serious topics. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we'll have, and we'll, we, you know, we can have you back in the second hour, but we'll talk a little bit more specifically about your product, a little bit more specifically about what it is that you guys do, that sort of thing, because, you know, that's some serious stuff. And not everybody, yeah. you know, that's, that's hard for people to digest, but if we could have a little bit of fun in the first hour talk a little bit of stories about saudi arabia a little bit of news a little bit of sports <laughs> that sort of thing and, and we're today we're talking a little bit about news and so you know mr jeff roach i appreciate you coming on today because i saw your social media post we call it a social media scream here where somebody's had enough they've just had enough yeah. and and i i chuckled because um I think that you represent a lot of people right now, which is I've not I'm not one to get involved with social media spats, but boy, I can only, you know, as Popeye says, enough's enough or whatever. So uh, talk to me a little bit about the process that you went through that you finally said, okay, I'm going to call out uh, North Face for their hypocrisy on what they're trying to do to oil and gas. Yeah, you know, um, I'm, first of all, I'm not the voice of anybody. Uh, I'm just a normal oil and gas guy, and uh, I, I run a run a run a division of a, of a small company. We got a few employees, and so I'm not. I'm certainly not a uh, an authority on on this, but but I, you know, I, I have been on social media for a long time. I use it, and um, and I've always used it for the typical things. But you know, I've I've got a I've got a pretty good connection base, and and uh, when I read that story of, of Innovex and the fact that that they were they were really just denied the ability to buy the product simply because that you know they were an oil and gas company. I tell you, Jason, what what really what really got me was the response of the VF Corporation when they said um, the reason that we're not going to take your order is because it doesn't fall on our standards of companies that we want to be associated with uh alcohol companies tobacco companies and adult entertainment companies and oil and gas now i don't have any problem with alcohol or tobacco companies you know personally or anything like that uh, but but to, you know to lump us in with um with these companies that have this negative stigma you know we're it, that's just more criminalization of, of our industry and in light of everything that's gone on in the country and and um you know people just don't really understand the oil and gas industry unless you're in it and they're you know the, the, the hypocrisy of, of of making a stance like that behind a plastic keyboard that was manufactured with the very product that you're that you're uh, that you're taking this harsh stance against, and um, you know, I normally don't speak out. I'm not a you know I'm not a troublemaker or a, a fight picker or anything like that. But I just thought, dang it, you know, uh, you know, enough's enough. And I can tell you that I've I've had um, 
I've never had a post or anything like that go like this one. And it, it's, uh, it's almost 50,000 views in less than 24 hours without, without one negative comment on the thread. And, um, you know, when, when, I, when I got to investigate in VF Corporation a little bit more, I found out that Bulwark, uh, FR clothing was, was a part of it. I was wearing a Bulwark shirt when I made the post. That's a, that's a staple in our industry. And they have no idea um, how, how widespread our support for this could be if we could get organized. But our problem is the oil and gas industry is huge. We have many voices. But we're but we're not organized, and and we would rather get up and go to work, and put our boots on, talk to our kids on Facetime because we're in the middle of a fourteen day hitch, and uh, then then rally and protest. Well, and, I'll tell you what, you are actually being part of the organization right now because the reason we're we're doing this pilot program is we're showing. Uh, people what it's going to sound like, what it's going to look like, how we're going to interact with the audience. Because if you think about it, you know, having a daily program that has people like you on talking about current events in ways that affect you on a regular basis. And then, like I say, in the second hour, we can have a little bit more serious talks with some some things that decision makers need to hear and uh, that sort of thing. But also... We need some of this lifestyle stuff talked about because, you know, like you mentioned, North Face has got a pretty big customer base with oil and gas when it comes to their FR clothing. And if there was a, well, I'll just be, I'll, I'll be up front here. Is it time to boycott it? Well, I, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know how strong a word that is. That's how uninvolved I am. I hear about boycotts. I have never been involved with a boycott before uh i've always thought you know if i if i really need it is my little purchase really going to make a difference but it does it, it absolutely does and when companies buy thousands of dollars of these frs logo you know logo their their company name on and then hand it out to the to every every field employee that they have you know it's a very bulwark brand especially unlike north face Bulwark is a very commercial brand. It's not a resident. It's not a. Uh, it's not an individual brand that you, you know, that you see in clothing stores. You got to go to a specialty store, or a, you know, a tax store or something like that to get very commercial brand. And I really think that the reason I listed Bulwark is, and I, I hate even saying this, Jason, but that's where we can hit them. That's why that, that's why I bring up the question about if if there's an if it's a time for an industry boycott are we hearing about that what you know wh- where is it at at some point because that, that it's a pretty bold statement and and we've been trying to have this discussion for a few years now on this program that you know the oil and gas industry has to understand that this is a different battle than they're used to because they're trying to turn the oil and gas industry into the next big tobacco. And what you just mentioned is exactly that when you started the program was, was that, that's what, that, that was their rationale was that we, you know, they're, they lumped uh, the oil and gas industry in with the syntaxers. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's absurd. That's absurd because the oil and gas industry is, is far from the porn industry. 
Well, I mean, it's just ma- the, it's just not. Well, uh, Mar- Marlboros don't heat your home, and can't, Joe Camel doesn't drive your car. You know, there's there's that's a, exactly right. There's a little bit of yeah. difference too there. So, well, um, and, and Jason, you know, I, I, I'll tell you that the oil and gas, the people of the oil and gas industry, typically are the you know a, a huge part of the moral backbone of our society, and we. Not that I'm on a high horse or anything like that, but we typically take the high ground when it comes to these fights. And the 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 enemy, I'll call them the enemy, does not take a high ground. They get organized and down and dirty and will do anything to win and do anything to get their get their word out. And you know, we just you know, we we don't want to hurt the people that that uh, that might work at these companies, you know. Maybe, you know, we, we we'll we'll take the position. Well, it's not really the employee's fault that the company takes this stance, and we don't want to hurt those people. So let's, you know, we'll just kind of let this die. And they don't believe that. They don't take those stances, and that's why they win. That's why their that's why their minority voices are way louder than our majority voices because. They don't take the high ground. Well, maybe it's time to start taking the low horse and the low ground. Sterling, what do you think on this, huh? What, Sterling, let's let's. Uh... Well, no, I think everything that's being said is is spot on. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially in in this type of economy where you've got companies spiting each other. Uh, you know, over philosophical issues when we need to be trading back and forth, and that. I'm pretty environmentally friendly, as I think most people are. They want the earth to still be around, but we also want electricity. I'm living in a place where it's about 22 degrees today as the high, so I'm appreciating my natural gas uh, and every petroleum product that was you know, put in my clothing and everything else. So, you know, we're tearing each other down for no reason. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I really appreciate, you know, that kind of statement because I just think it's absolutely ridiculous in this type of world and economy to, to reject something based on something that's so silly. And, and like you said, you're just hurting the people that work for the company. You're not hurting the company itself. Well, and that's sure, the other yeah. thing is, you know, by the way, we do have a interview request into the CEO and the president of uh, North Face. We put that in this morning and hopefully they'll come on the program because I do want to have a talk with him about this. I, I do want to find out what he's thinking and if he expects that there's going to be any you know blowback or resistance or any impact against his FR clothing bulwark, and um, that sort of thing. So this is a legitimate conversation, and he should come on the program. He should come on here and explain himself. So my question to you, Mr. Roach, is that if uh, you were to ask the CEO or the president of North Face a, a question or you had 30 seconds or uh, 60 seconds with him, what, what would you want him to know or what question would you want him to answer? You know, I, I would just, I actually reached out to the CEO of, uh, or the, the highest person I could find with, with Bulwark. I haven't heard back yet, but I would just want to know, is that really your position? Because for the life of me, the business side of me, even if that's your personal position, why in the world would you make that your professional position? What could you possibly gain from that other than recognition from 
the liberal left. And that's not a that's not a political statement. That's just the people that are typically involved with these movements. What could you possibly gain by by rejecting a, an order for 400 embroidered jackets? Yeah, to get some sort of environmental friendly merit badge, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I, I will sell our product really almost to anybody that wants to buy it because that's feeds the employees of the families that manufacture the products and and that and that sell the products of the company that I, that I work for and you know who am i to 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 discriminate about the business that comes to us we're 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 scrambling for business right now in our industry and and uh, you know trying to get every every dollar that we can and for this CEO to want to do something special for his employees and then get denied. And when you read his letter, he, he, he was taken aback by it and thought about it and it ticked him off, you know, and then he wrote the letter. Um, he didn't react initially and, uh, and, and he came back and reacted and that's when he got the response. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. And you know, the, the, the more of these people that I'm affiliated with, I, I, I serve on a national board for a group called Oilfield Connections, and um, we're just a bunch of people that meet once a month at various locations across the United States for lunch, and we, you know, we give money to to charities and to to, to, to groups that uh, that are associated with our industry, and um, we're just good people, and we 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 really don't have time to fuss and to fight. We, we go to work every day, and that's the reason that uh, that I, I guess I'm a little more passionate about this topic than than I have been about others that I've read. I've not gotten involved in any of these things before, but you know, dang it, the the, the people of this industry are are hurting right now. We we see some light at the end of the tunnel, but to be shunned—I use that word in the post—to be shunned by a company like North Face is just an absolute an absolute slap in the face that's not for and, you uh, is it <laughs> gotta no, run out no, now huh? no no it's not not for me not okay for I'm, stationary. <laughs> I'm stationary i've had you know one time i was we had a caller call in on a sports radio talk show i was doing and all of a sudden he dropped the s-bomb he's like oh shit he says <laughs> he he someone hit him live while we were talking on the air he was he was going off about the vikings defense and then he got rear-ended <laughs> And then he kept talking, and then the co-host goes, he goes, Mike, shouldn't you maybe go take yeah, get, get his insurance, insurance number or something like that? He just kept railing on the Vikes' defense. Like, well, anyways. But, that's professionalism right there. So, well, you, you were going pretty passionate there. I didn't know if you were getting pulled over. You know, sometimes the foot the foot could get a little heavy with the passion. Yeah, yeah, especially in these big oil field trucks that burn all this fuel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is that, listen, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is some some new form of accepted leadership. Okay, so what I'm looking at is that what we're trying to do here with the crude life is we're just going to try to take back the conversation. So having you come on is a very big part of this. Having Sterling come on, whose background is what it is to actually introduce us right away to an international audience is very critical. So what we're looking at here is saying, okay, we're, we're, we're done with this playing the low horse and low ground stuff here because 
what you're talking about is getting rid of your of your fire resistant line. That's what you're talking about now. So if you're seriously going to start picking a fight with the oil and gas industry when you've got an entire line of clothing that specifically sells to the oil and gas industry, so you're talking about getting rid of that line and you're talking about a new level of leadership that apparently is acceptable by your shareholders. Because what you said earlier made a lot of sense, which is clicking and clacking behind a plastic keyboard about some personal uh, observations or some personal feelings versus a business decision. Those are two completely separate things. And now they're starting to really mingle, mingle and yeah. mix them together a little bit. Are you, are you following here me here, Mr. Papa Roach? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned Bulwark because that's a brand that really hits home. But if you look at the other brands that the BF corporation represents, it's brands like Wrangler, uh, Lee, Jansport, um, Walls, Dickies. It's these are some major these are some major brands that VF Corporation owns and operates and and distributes. And uh, you know, I, I I was thinking about the post, and I said if I'm going to do this, I knew it was going to kind of open up a can of worms. How do I get the How do I get people's attention? I knew Bulwark would get oil and gas attention, but these same people that wear the Bulwark FRs are wearing Wranglers on the weekends, mm -hmm. you know. And Dickies. Uh, and Dickies. Mm -hmm. And Dickies. And Dick, you know what? Walmart is a huge Dickies distributor. Um, well, you're talking. You're, you're talking blue collar, man. I mean, as American yeah. as you get, right there. Salt of the earth, blue collar. But United States majority of people. And and you look at the oil and gas supply chain, that is about as blue collar as it gets. Now there's some white collar, and their collars are really white and really pressed and really starched, but the blue collar is still pretty blue, man. Um and yep. here, and here's the thing that here's the part that really irritates me that I wish the elected leaders and I wish the appointed leaders would figure this out because they keep forgetting this. A lot of the truckers a lot of the people like me in communications, a lot of the people who work in steel and, and different fabrication and pumps and things like that, the supply chain, if you will, they're not considered mining. They're not considered oil and gas. I'm considered communications, actually. A lot of trucking people are considered transportation. So when we take a look at the oil and gas industry, what they do not understand is it is not just the oil and gas industry. It's like twice as big. And I don't think the industry quite understands that. A lot, yeah, I get the business originates there. But uh, are you following me on that? Or am I, is it a little too existential energy here? We like to no, do, no, no. We, we, we do no, like existential energy here, so. Well, well I, think it, I think it's even more macro than that. I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I, yep. think it's, I think it's a lot, it's, it's not twice, it's, it's global. It's the global economy. It's it. It affects everything. I mean, everything we do. Uh, even even if you talk about a solar wind farm, you know the 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 tractors that clear the land <laughs> are oil and gas. You know the 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 fuel that delivers the material. Everything is energy. Everything. And even you the composites and. I mean, what the turbines are made of probably have oil or petroleum product in them on some yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yes. 
Yes, they. You know, you know what we. You know, in North Face, I, I researched. I've never researched North Face before, but they've got this. <laughs> they've got this goal of being. Um, you know, um, having some kind of energy sustainability program by 2025. You know, they 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 throw these programs out there to look good, but there's absolutely no possibility of attaining them. You know, you 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 can't get away from the fossil fuel and the natural gas energy part of of our country and really even even the world. Um, and it's just a shame that it's uh, it's seen. You know, everybody sees the fracking and the the oh, we're exploding the ground and we're lighting water on fire in Pennsylvania and uh, you know we're killing the birds and you know. I'll, you know, they have a dead bird that they find in a containment somewhere on a well site, and then these activists go nuts. And and that's not our industry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just not our industry. Uh, so, you know, I get a little wound up about it, but this industry fed my family. My, my kids are, are, are grown now, but uh, but they fed my family for many years, and, and it wasn't the corporate America in Houston that did it. It was, it was these... It was these field production foremen that bought my products and, you know, these pumpers that that they didn't make a lot of money, uh, but but they bought my product and they bought my product because it was a good product and it was a relationship. And, um, you know, the oil and gas business is built on relationships and uh, you, you, you'll find people in our industry that that have been through four or five of these ups and downs and and it always comes back up but when people say and you know you'll have some people that leave and do other things but but you know the people that are in this industry they they won't leave and if you ask them why won't you leave when you shuck it all the way down to the cop it's usually because of the people (laughs) It's, it's usually because of the people the people that we work with the customers we serve um, you know, the, the, our fellow employees, you know, even our competitors are some of our best friends. And that's the way our business is. And that's the reason we have a hard time fighting, you know, against these folks that, that, that hit us with nonsense. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're just not wired like that. We're, you know, we're just not. We're looking forward to the weekend to get in the deer stand. And, uh, well, yeah, it sounds yeah, like you guys are more family than colleague, and so it's you know families are yeah, have a hard yeah, time agreeing I, on any one thing. Well, Sterling, that's why Ster, Sterling's going to fit in fine here because he actually grew up, you know, in one of those little the, the oil commune in Saudi Saudi Arabia, so he understands that that whole that that whole side of things. Was it ever called a commune? No, no, no. compound, compound, compound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave the hippie word out yeah, of there. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Everybody there was working for Aramco Oil and Gas. You know, but here's the thing that I that really irritates me okay is that um what i'm getting very tired of especially in the last year but it's increased over the last four years is you're starting to see ceos ceos sling daggers and throw throw rocks at at the industry like this because north face has not come back with a comment yet so not not only have i in the crude life put in a request but I'm sure the Wall Street Journal and every newspaper in Texas and the Associated Press and everybody else. So, I mean, I look at it like, okay, so 
at some point, don't they have to, don't they have to be held accountable? And that's where the business part comes in again, where if this is the new way that we're doing business, all right, we got to stop every subsidy now. Every single subsidy that's going to every one of these big companies that is starting to use their political uh, uh, aspirations as a way of doing business because they know they're going to get bailed out in the back end. All right, then we got to stop that crap right away because I can't think of any other reason why anybody else would do this. Do you, do you know what I mean there? Yeah, it's anyway. So there's there's my soapbox of the morning. <laughs> I'd like to ask North Face because I think they were founded in the 60s. Why 2025 is their target date for sustainability? What have they been doing for 50 years? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and, and, oh, go ahead. The, well, the really sad thing is if they came out with a statement that says, hey, that was a local thing. That's not our corporate policy. We we um, we apologize to the oil and gas industry. You know what? We would just say. Okay, you know, and we'd we'd probably start buying them again, and that's that's the really sad part of of the fact that we're that we're not organized. They they're probably not going to comment because they're just hoping it goes away. That's interesting because you know the oil and gas industry still does have to be based on results because otherwise you die. So, so when you're based on results, otherwise you die, it's very hard to get into a ridiculous argument with somebody and because you're, you're too busy living and well, it's just, it's funny because anybody outside of the industry is kind of going, what are they talking about? And everybody in the industry is like, no shit, man, you ain't kidding. And really, I mean, so when something like this comes out, it is hard to kind of engage into something like that because you're, I don't know. Am I, am am I making any sense here this morning? Yeah. I I, generally, I don't think they're, they're interested in that philosophical or political debate. You know, most people I know in the oil and gas industry, they like saying, they just want to go to work, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. And so they're so focused on the safety part and everything. And as long as, you know, they're making a good FR clothing, they'll probably keep getting the business because unless there's something, you know what I mean? It's like, unless everybody shifts the business to the other FR clothing guy, it ain't, you know, it's at the end of the day, they still need their fireproof clothing because it is a regulation. That's the other part. That's the other part of this, yeah, too. Yeah. And, you know, and somebody somebody on the thread said that I, I'd love for this to happen. Don't think it will, because the oil and gas industry is still a margin based industry and we will get the best deals that we can. And that's that's what I was going to get with, is that if, as long as it's priced right and it does the results that the energy company needs, they're still going to get the business. And that's that's the one thing that I go back to where in a world where things are judged on merit, that's, you know, it's still in in, in the world of life and death. It still does, (laughs) you know, in the world of people sitting in their office just saying, oh, let's do this. This sounds fun. Yeah. My daughter and her friends say we got to plant more trees. We better plant more trees, you know, or whatever it is. (laughs) Well, it's how a lot of that stuff starts, you know. And, Until the trucks and shovels show up, right? And or the or the or the bill, you know. Well, ask Germany. Well, Germany, they tried to go green. They were bragged about being the first green country for a long time. Well, then 
everybody's energy bill went up four times what it was when it started and they had to burn a bunch of old forests that had 100 year old trees in it and they had to turn the coal plants on after five ten years so all, all this you know puff up puff up stuff was happening and then when the reality came after a body of work was done nobody wants to talk about it now because yep. well nobody wants to go to somebody and say hey if you go green did you know you're going to pay five times the amount on your energy bill than you are today well, now that's a whole different conversation than what they're having. So nobody wants to talk about that. That's why we're going to. <laughs> so, well, somebody needs to, yeah, so needs we're to going to. Conversation, absolutely. Well, I'll take the whole COVID thing. I haven't even heard one stimulus check for all the parents sitting at home watching their kids all day, homeschooling their kids while they get you know direction from the teachers and yeah. things like that so well i mean at least you'd think one person in america would bring that up one time on one talk show right and it never has so we're going to be talking about topics no one else talks about so anyway let's give your company a plug here because uh well first of all the the voices and opinions heard by mr roach are not of his company they are of his and um, unless you want your company to be attached to it, but I assume you don't. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, think, I think that's an appropriate statement. <laughs> so, so we got to make sure we you know take a shower here before we go to your uh, pr professional plug because you know at the end of the day we do need to give each other business and we do need to help each other out and we do need to create a stronger bond and a strength a stronger uh, strength in numbers and and this is the way to do it. So, uh, yeah. Je Jeff Roach, you, uh, first of all, your company, and then secondly, give uh, give oil field connection and the good things that sarge is doing down there a plug too okay yeah yeah sure yeah uh yeah the, yeah we're houston international equipment we're chemical injection products and services and uh based in houston texas office in kilgore texas and kennedy texas and uh serve the great people of the haynesville shell and the eagle ford shell um you know and uh you know oil field connections is a great organization i've been involved with it for just shy of a year uh sarge summers is one of the most charismatic uh, personalities involved with that. We have chapters all over the United States, oilfieldconnections.net. And uh, I think that we've actually suspended some of the meetings for December and January because of all the, you know, the COVID-related uh, shutdowns and whatnot. But we're hoping to get back in full swing in February. So uh, I encourage everybody to get involved in a chapter. Uh, we do some real good work around the country. Thank you very much, Mr. Jeff Roach, President, USA Operations at Houston International Equipment. We got to take a brief pause because we are so over on time, Sterling. Nope, I'm not even going to let you talk. Jeff Roach, thank you very much. We'll check up with you later and more than happy to have you back and continue the conversation right here on the Crude Life Morning Show. It is play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. It's Thursday, and you're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Media Network. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com, and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band.
Play hard, work hard. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. <laughs> Welcome back to Play Hard, Work Hard. It's the Crude Life Morning Show. Sterling, Jason Spees with you this morning. I'd like to thank Jeff Roach for joining us and talking a little bit about his uh, processing passion as he's been bubbling up for a little bit to where he finally got passion with a social media scream. And we were glad he came on to be part of the conversation. Moody Riverband, thank you for supplying today's music. Studio at thecrudelife.com. If you'd like to send us either a, a musician or if you're an independent musician, you'd like to send us in as well. And today's sponsor, Elite Energy. Thank you very much for being our sponsor today. Elite Energy Services. Of course, you can go to our show page and find out more. All right, now it is time for the grab bag section. We might name it something later. But for right now, according to the sticky note we have on the board, it's known as the grab bag section. Sterling, are you ready? I am absolutely ready. No idea what's going to happen. Eventually, we're going to bring other people in for this, too. Grab bag, do you want fabulous flops, basketball names, or caffeine facts? Oh, caffeine facts, please, for caffeine 300. Caffeine facts, okay. Are you ready for this? Hit me. Did you know... When your brain is tired and wants to slow down, it releases a chemical called endosin. Endosine. 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 Okay. Did you know that? Yeah, I think mine is always in use. Okay. <laughs> Not sure. We're, are we still in the play hard section here? Sorry. Okay, hard. Okay. Endosine travels to special cells called receptors where it goes to work counteracting the chemicals that stimulate your brain. Caffeine mimics endosine so it can plug up your receptors and prevent endosine from getting through. The result is your brain never gets the signal to slow down and keeps building up stimulants. Did you know that? I had no idea. See, we like to learn a little bit yeah. here. This is kind of the fun portion of learning here. Uh, we don't do math. No, not this early. No, no not this early. No, but science is awesome. <laughs> no, I just always kind of looked at it as go-go juice, you know? It makes the engine go. But sure, chemical, that's cool. Americans ingest the caffeine equivalent of 530 million cups of coffee every day. And this stat, by the way, was done before Starbucks was a big deal. Now that <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm sure that's it, changed yeah, a little bit. As a little bit. In fact, they, they, they mentioned that. But you couldn't throw a rock in the 90s without hitting a coffee shop. I know I tried. I still think the show Frasier and Friends were uh, propaganda for coffee shops by madison avenue yeah and you know the high ranking uh, pr firms we have not heard of ever right the ones you know the the black water of uh <laughs> of pr firms the wizard behind the curtain oh without without uh frazier i probably wouldn't look at coffee as affluent hmm. and highbrow and without friends i wouldn't think of a coffee shop as somewhere to hang out 
Before then, coffee shop is where beatniks and hippies did their poetry, man. Yeah, well, actually, that's exactly what drew me to coffee shops back in the day. God, you're such a hippie. <laughs> well, it was the girls. Caffeine's effects. Good. Caffeine has been scientifically proven to temporarily increase alertness, comprehension, memory, reflexes, and even the rate of learning. It also helps increase clarity of thought. Okay. Now the bad. Too much caffeine can cause hand tremors, loss of coordination or appetite, insomnia, and in some cases, trembling, nausea, heart palpitations, and diarrhea. That described my yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say, I can check all those boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this hitting me home way too much? (laughs) Because we're middle age, man. Things start to hurt. All right, pay attention to this next one, folks. If you manage to consume the equivalent of 70 to 100 cups of coffee in one sitting, you'll experience convulsions and may even die. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed to work out for Fry. In Futurama? Yeah. <laughs> and it, what was it? They got the stimulus check? Yeah. It was, uh, what, 100 cups of coffee that, for a dollar a piece? Yeah. They had the counter going. <laughs> I remember that episode at 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. one night. He seemed to have found some zen. I, You know what? Uh, at IHOP back in the 90s when I could stay up all night and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes, it was awesome. If you quit caffeine cold turkey, your brain begins to reduce the number of receptors right away. But the process takes about two weeks, and during that time, your body sends out mild distress signals in the form of headaches, lethargica, <clears throat> lethargia. I think lethargia. Lethargia. Lethargy. Lethargy. There we go. Maybe, maybe it's, lethargy. A, it's a regional lethargy. thing. Lethargy. Lethargy, actually. Um, okay. Boy, those first few were really embarrassing. Fatigue, muscle pain, <laughs> nausea. Oh, I actually went to school for this stuff. Sure, so right, it's, yeah. It's a little embarrassing for me internally here. Uh, well, sometimes you get tripped up on some of those, and then you go, blah, blah, blah. All right. Uh, stiffness, flu-like symptoms. Withdrawal, basically, is what I'm reading here. Yeah, again. As a result, most doctors recommend quitting caffeine gradually. Okay, true story here is I look at... Oh, we got a few minutes. Okay. I went without coffee two times um which i drink by about uh three pots a day right now but uh see i i am so amped up i went every other word in that last sentence that was amazing i know i just just to save time apparently i just forgot every other word in the last paragraph or two of my words (laughs) came out of my word mouth and it's the best mouth for your words to come out of so anyway uh one year for lent Oh, gee, look at that. Spoiler alert. I oh grew my up gosh. Catholic. Yeah, here we go. Uh, one year for Lent. There's a lot to unpack uh, there. We decided to, you know, do that. We were uh, with Otis was, uh, I think, about uh, five or something like that. Around that first year when you kind of introduce some some of the religious practices to a child. And, right. And we thought, you know, Lent would be a good one for just the idea of giving up and some sacrifice and the whole ideology behind Lent. So, Absolutely. Uh, we decided to do that, and uh, I can't remember what I gave up. It was something, you know, something pretty, pretty, you know, minimal at the time because uh, my uh, my girlfriend at the time, Otis's mother, gave up coffee. And when she said that, I looked at her and I said, "Oh, nobody should have to do that alone. I'll do that with you." Ouch. And we really struggled. Yeah, murder suicide. Really or? struggled. I mean, because. 
oh man, by nine o'clock we were tired, mm-hmm. and pretty soon when the sun started going down, our energy started going down. What what do they call that? The uh, rhythmic clock that you kind of uh, you, you oh, sync your, with the your, sun and the your moon. Your day night cycle. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a word for it, but you ended up. Uh, it's like an algorithm. It's not Al Gore's rhythm, but <laughs> it's something like that where you you actually synchronize with the sun and the moon. Yeah. And you just we started doing that, and. It's not good during the winter months or before daylight saving time because, you know, you're going to bed pretty early. You're getting tired by 2 o'clock. Okay. The other time, I went a year without coffee. A whole year. A whole year. And that's when I thought I had cancer and I was fighting the medical system. I ended up having cancer, but I wanted to do an adrenal gland cleanse. Right. Oh, have we got another phone line coming in here? I better... Oh, no, that's the news line. That's the bat phone. All right. So... um, you were wanted, trying to avoid coffee. It the was a total health corrosiveness. Yeah. The yeah, I was I was acidic. doing all kinds of different things, and so it takes about six months of uh, going without coffee to apparently drain your adrenal gland. Six months. Yeah. Damn. And so I thought, okay, well, anyway, I went a year without it, and uh, that was difficult. But after a little bit, you get used to it, mm-hmm. and I wish I could do it again. I really do, but man, I've, as I'm drinking my 15th cup of coffee here this morning. But hey, that's when I was meeting you at Starbucks, and you were just having tea. That is true. Yeah, you were having good tea. That is true. Huh? Um, that's right. When you it seemed to make you me, happy, that was probably yeah. the year I went without coffee. Yeah, that was. That was the year you were really going battling with the cancer. It was a couple months before you went into the hospital, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When I was battling by myself. Yeah. Before they before they agreed with me. Hmm. That's not fun, by the way. Going to three years and they're telling you you got hemorrhoids and you don't. That's yeah. embarrassing, man. Well, when you got to prove your own medical condition, it's pretty sad. But why hemorrhoids? Out of all of them, that's like that's that's like saying, oh, you got a bunion or something. I don't know. Even that that would have been less embarrassing. Right. Just put a cream on it. See, rub now, some dirt just, on I don't, it. I'm not even comfortable with this conversation. Yeah, actually, I am not either. So yeah, let's it's move like, on. It's like when that Mitch Hedberg joke where he talks about he's got so much. Uh, uh, tartar, you know, plaque. Right. You know, he could start his own fish sticks company. Oh. Then he pauses. He goes, actually, no, I don't. That's gross. Yeah, I, that's, I don't. I got yeah. below amount, average amount. You know, just, <laughs> a line was crossed there. Totally, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I did a joke on Facebook about cooties, and I said, actually, no, I don't have that. because. Well, yeah, in the that. age of COVID, that's like the one thing from grade school that's still relevant. Circle, circle, dot, dot. Let's get back to some caffeine facts, because nobody wants to hear about my uh, self- self-deprecation when it comes to coffee but the top four sources of caffeine in the american diet coffee soft drinks tea and chocolate in that order the average american gets 75 percent of their caffeine from coffee other sources include over-the-counter painkillers appetite suppressants cold remedies and some prescription drugs what happens to caffeine that's removed from decaf coffee most of it is sold to soda companies and put into soft drinks. I did not know that. I had no idea that they had some sort of like physical commodity left over from that Is that process. how Jolt did it? Man, you remember Jolt? Twice the sugar, twice the caffeine. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Tasted like complete ass, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to talk about, okay, let's get a market, damn it. Oh, man, Jolt Cola, my uh, sophomore year of high school before exams. Yep. And, and if twice the sugar, twice the caffeine <laughs> yeah. wasn't enough, put a lightning bolt on the bottle, too. That's what sold it. Let's jazz it yeah. up. It's, if something's got speed lines, you know it's going to make you go and fast. If my memory serves me correctly, let's put... 
Let's put flame red underneath as the background. Oh, like, man. So everything aggressive we could put into this. Oh, you remember Surge? Remember, well, you remember that even like green though. Yeah, I yeah, mean, but I mean, like the the go check out YouTube and look at a surge commercial from the mid to. No, I. <laughs> I mean, it was everything was about the extreme caffeine. It, it was the start of the X extreme revolution, yep. no question yep. about it. But Jolt was like old school, like okay. It was like leftover sugar. Let's put it in liquid form. Red convertibles get more tickets than any other car. <laughs> well, you know, it's that whole yeah. thing where red red is the aggressive color. Yep. And it, and because of that, you know, Jolt, I'm like, okay, the lightning bolt, twice the sugar, twice the caffeine. Plus, red. you could get it in like two liter bottles for like 99 cents. I mean, the only thing they could have put on there is that your heart may stop by the 14th ounce. Eh. And that's what they should have said. Eh. <laughs> eh. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, I love Jolt. Well, the average person drinking Jolt was probably what, 19? I mean, it was the first time you could feel your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> you take a drink and you're like, okay, there's my teeth. Yeah. All of them. I will confess there was at least one morning I woke up and the first thing I had to drink was warm jolt. I've done that too. Yeah. And it's like coffee. Hey, have you ever tried warm Dr. Pepper? I, a lot of people drink that. Apparently that's a thing. Yeah, a lot of or people drink it. has that. been a thing. Like um, I found it in an old recipe magazine. Yeah. I have zero interest. Me neither. Uh, in that. Not a fan of it cold. Warm but... cola. Another just warm cola. People yeah. do too. Uh, you know, things like that, you know, and then of course people cook with it. Yeah. It seems to be like if, if there's a new product on the market, the first thing you should do is light it on fire. You know, if I had uh, better access to the interweb right now, which I do, but I just don't feel like typing it up. I've always heard they use formaldehyde to take decaf out of, or take the caffeine out of the decaf. Yeah. And I've, what do you I, have I, against preservative agents, man? Uh, quite a bit, but, um, <laughs> I, I don't really care for decaf. No. I, I, I don't care for it in principle. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. You know, it, it, decaf and coffee. Own I, your identity. Right. Yeah. Own your identity. I, I will confess. Caffeine, I've coffee. had it. I like to mix the two. Oh, I, I don't care for the taste. Yeah. And I don't care for the fact that they're, they're like not okay with who they are. Right. Like Ron Swanson would say. Damn right. Coffee be coffee. Coffee milk be coffee. Milk be milk. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right yeah. it's, or as mitch hedberg would say you know turkey bacon turkey salami hey man just be the turkey just be the turkey just be the turkey man yeah. <laughs> uh what else do we got do you drink more caffeine than your kids do oh god yes if you correct for your body weight probably not Pound for pound, kids often get as much caffeine from chocolate and soft drinks as their parents get from coffee, tea, and other sources, which opens up, do you get as much screen time as your kids, too? Oh, God, I'm sure. All you folks out there harping on your kids, get off those damn video games and the screen time. Well, how many spreadsheet screen times are you on, too, folks? Yeah. So there you go. That's our caffeine facts for today. That's our grab bag section. And we'll have to come back at another time with a few other options. Basketball names is interesting because the Cleveland Indians are changing their name. Yeah, I heard that. And I heard uh, the, the Chiefs and the Blackhawks are next up. Oh, so it's the the movement. As soon as the Redskins win, everybody's like, well, now we got Well, the it. dam is broke. Well, yeah, I mean, because... I mean, I don't know. From my point of view, if you're going to say one name is more offensive than the other. Well, my, my thing is, is that let's say, you know, you've been lobbying against the Cleveland Indians or the Chiefs or the Braves, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Okay. 
and they've been giving you pretty good examples. Cleveland, for example. Cleveland, hey, we were the rich, we were the Cleveland Spiders, but then we wanted to honor the very first Native American ever to play baseball, so we changed the name to the Cleveland Indians. Now, I didn't know that. Okay, that's the actual origin behind the Cleveland Indians. Didn't know that. Okay, but Columbus decided to name the Native Americans Indians because he thought he was in India. So right. then that became offensive through the years, and then the Indians became, and then they decided to get Chief Wahoo and make him look just ridiculous and yep. became, you know, kind of the... Major League, remember? Yeah, about when they kind of, they black-faced people, and yep. they, you know, they... Um, or red-faced. Had, had red fa- I was going to say, in the Asian ones where they, hey, you know, they mm-hmm. just, they over-exaggerated. That's what the Indians did with the mascot. So... Um, the real story here is, why were they called the Spiders? Oh, that was just the name. Huh. That was just the name. Just, and actually, this is I, not one I would associate with baseball. I I'll, I'll bet you dimes to dollars and donuts they're going to go back to it. Getting the spiders. Yeah. I, I do. I do believe that nostalgia. Back to their origin. You know, if there's precedent but, for okay, it. Okay, getting back to the story here of uh, the the changing of the names and everything. My guess is, is let's say somebody's been pushing up against Cleveland, blah blah blah, this and that. And like I say, a lot of them actually have pretty good reasons why they did. And this mm-hmm. one was to honor. Right. You know, it was to honor. Um, now they all they got to do is say, uh, "Dude, the Redskins did it." So, yeah, there's. I mean, that's it. There's there's no real solidarity left, you know. And besides, you know, I think that if you're looking at a, a strict bottom line, and you're going, how much does it cost us to change versus not changing, you know, in both money and support and good PR. Right? Well, I grew up a Redskins fan, and so I follow this pretty closely, and. Uh, it was, you know, it was interesting, the whole the whole gamut of it. And I actually like the new name. And because of their location in Washington, D.C., and because they are a 70-plus-year-old franchise, you know, they've been mm-hmm. around for a long time. I like the name, actually, the yeah. Washington football team. Yeah. That it, it's almost like Captain America. You it, know? it is very old school. Yeah. And, you know, Jacksonville couldn't old pull school. that off. No. You know, it's... But they still have a football team? They, they do. Oh, barely. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, as long as the Sheik Ala Khan, Tony Khan, wants to keep it, I guess. You know, why doesn't um, he just throw money at us? I would take that kind of money and fail. I could do I that. I have actually thought about approaching him, to be honest. Really? So I do have a connection to him that um, it would, you know, it would take a little bit of work, but I, I think I could do it. Head coach, um, GM, what well, do you want? it depends on if the pro wrestler Chris Jericho would um, bend or Bend it all. Man, I could um, see this being interesting. Well, uh, same guy owns uh, AEW, A, I think it's AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Okay. He owns that as well. All right. So there's, you know, and my, my cousin trained a lot of these wrestlers and no that kidding. sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he trained Vader and Rick Rude and all these guys. Wow. Well, that's, how I, that's why I know a lot about pro wrestling is because I actually, my, my cousin... You got some actual connection to it. Yeah. yeah. My, my brother being an amateur wrestling coach and that sort of thing. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get him on. Who knows? I mean, he's a chic. He's got to hey. have oil and gas connections. You know what? You can't succeed. You got to try, right? I can't imagine that the sheiks make money any other way outside of oil and gas in Saudi Arabia. Maybe they do. Camel trading? I don't know. Actually, that's that probably... offensive? I don't know. Not to me. Okay, I was going to say, it'd be like no. cow trading here, right? No. I can actually tell you uh, when we visited Egypt as a family in like 86, 87, we got offers for my mom and my sister in the form of camels. For my sister's, on my mother's eyes, they, but for my sister. Now, 
That's much more offensive than what I said. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Now, at the time... Your reality is more offensive than my, than stereotyp- my stereotypical speculation. At the time, my dad and I, because I would have been about 12, we joked about, hey, this might be a good deal. We could start a, a shawarma stand on the beach. That's oh, a lot God. of camels. And we're talking thousands of camels. Later, one of our Egyptian friends explained that that was a poorly translated uh, compliment. <laughs> it, it transcends time so well. It does. That's well, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, we got to end on yeah. that one because I see we're running up against the clock here. That was the grab bag <laughs> section. And not only do you not know what topic we're going to talk about on the way in. Neither do we. You have no idea how it's going to end. And boy, we started with caffeine facts. And we ended with how are we going to trade our family members for camels? All right, folks, this is Play Hard, Work Hard, the Crude Life Morning Show. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. Our sponsor today is Elite Energy Services. Swan Energy has our phone line sponsor. The Moody River Band is our house band. And we'll be back in a moment or two to hand it off to the Work Hard section on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play Hard, Work Hard. Got your mind blown Mind blown, your mind blown I'll show you something that's never been shown Food Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. That is not too much. In fact, we might even have to turn that into a promo or something. You know, I, you know, I, someone was just asking me the other day, somebody in politics, because they noticed that I've had a little bit of a decrease of uh, some some uh, politicians on in the past couple of years. And we've focused more on a lot of the business owners and 
kind of that sure. supply chain, if you will, because yeah, interesting people. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just the, the it's just the, you know how the market goes. You got to go where the market is. And somebody asked me, and I said, you know, I, I'd have to put uh, Senator Kramer up there, and they looked at me kind of bizarre, and they go, why? And I said, well. For number one, he's always accessible. And I said, if you look at the last, you know, four, three, four years, it's been like a rare albino elk sighting for a lot of people. You know, they've <laughs> they've been they've been going and hiding, and you know, some people are having a hard time. You know, with when, when the energy started crashing, and then yeah. also when COVID came out. Not you though, yeah. not you. No, yeah. I said the other reason I like him is because we don't always see eye to eye. And um, we'll have civil conversation. And at the end, we'll understand where each other's coming from because we're still, we're trying to get to the same spot. And we always know that. So anyway, I've always, I've, I've put you in one of my favorite politicians through the years. And I've been doing this now for over 25 years. Yeah, it's amazing for a guy so young. I don't know how you squeeze those 25 years into such a short time. But um, the thing, Jason, I always, and I always tell the reporters here, although I chewed their butts yesterday, media here at the Capitol, but I always tell them we're in the same business, basically, and that is to inform people of what we're doing, <laughs> you know, what's going on in the Capitol. It's just that when sometimes they lose their way on what they inform people of. But anyway, you can only do that by talking to each other, gosh. Well, and you bring up a good point, especially going into 2021. You know, we have a new president now, uh, President-elect Biden, who has been very open about his uh, feelings towards the fossil fuel industry. Uh, we have small businesses just clinging on to anything they can find right now. And, and you know, before you, you this kicked in, it was already starting to be a little bit difficult for a lot of the energy industry. So uh, you, you spent a lot of time in the administra- Trump's administration uh, in the energy sector. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what energy companies uh, should know right now and what they should be considering and thinking about going into 2021? No, that's a great question. And, and one thing about, you know, any successful businesses, you have to look forward and you have to look forward with, you know, realistic um, expectations and, of course, prepare uh, prepare for, for what might be coming. And obviously the, the energy sector is very dependent on, public policy, all businesses, but, but especially energy, and especially when you're a net exporter like we are now as a country, that means geopolitics matters. And so clearly they have to be preparing for a Biden-Harris administration. And we should have some, you know, some sense of what that looks like because, you know, of the playbook from the Obama-Biden administration. And it already looks at this very early stage like the Biden-Harris administration is going to look a lot like Obama-Biden because so like 75% of the people that he's announced that he's going to nominate for, for offices in the cabinet, um, you know, worked in some capacity for the Obama-Biden administration. And, and I'm not criticizing that. I'm just stating that as a fact. So, I, you know, we do have some sense, I guess, based on history. And, of course, remember during the Obama-Biden administration, there was a lot of sue-and-settle tactics between the agencies and the environmental groups that were then followed up with uh, by stringent regulations, often beyond their legal ju- jurisdictions. And then they'd also slow walk every permit you know, possible. And so the federal government has a lot of control, everything from tax policy to uh, environmental policy, and not even just the policies themselves, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but, but how these policies are administered 
how rules are enforced. It's not just the regulation, it's the regulator. And, and so there's lots of ways they can slow walk things. So when the Trump administration came in, for example, the North Dakota Bureau of Land Management had one of the highest APD backlogs in the country that, that's applications for, for permits to drill. And for the oil and gas industry, it's, it's really clear they'll immediately go after methane regulations for new and existing sources and some type of prohibition to lease and drill on federal property. Now, one of the reasons the Bakken took off you know, much bigger and faster than other plays, besides the fact that it's a very oil-rich play, is that a lot of North Dakota is not, on, uh, is not owned by the federal government. But we also know that much of the heart of the Bakken is on, on federal property. And so, uh, you know, some type of a prohibition to lease uh, or, and or drill on federal land will be a really big issue for North Dakota. And, um, you know, we, we also know that there's about, uh, I guess Lynn Helms is saying, there's about 48% of North Dakota spacing units that have some amount of federal minerals. So even if it's not federal land, we do know that with our unitizing and whatnot that, that, that there's a lot of, federal minerals, and, and 48% is quite a bit. It's a substantial amount that, that you will lose access to. And that means a, a lot of lost revenue for neighboring mineral owners and governments. Uh, um, production for our, our economy still largely utilizing oil now and many years into the future. So, Let me just um, jump in for one second. I just yep. want to paint a, a picture for somebody out there that maybe isn't following that. Is Basically what we're talking about is that you know you could start drilling on your specific area but because these laterals go several miles underground horizontally you could be entering into a federal type of a, a jurisdiction if you will we just had kathleen skama on she's the uh, president of the western energy alliance and that is a yep. big deal out west of course you start yes. you, you you get west of uh, the black hills and about every other foot is federal land in some way or another so it, it, it becomes a little bit tricky. And that's interesting to hear about North Dakota having it. I didn't know it was that high. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah, so when you think of 48%, and, and what Lynn is saying is that so 48% of our spacing units have some amount of federal minerals. So, so it's, it's not 48% is federal. It's 48% of the units have some amount of federal minerals. And, and what, what that means is, to, to the illustration you just pointed out, that, that means that you could lose, companies could lose access to, you know, um, a resource that's vast majority of which is private, but if there's a little bit of federal in there, um, then there's becomes jurisdictional problems. And, and even if you can, you know, get the right percentage worked out, you know, as an investor, you're going to look at, well, where would it be easier? You know, where would it cost me less? Where is it less hassle? And so even in North Dakota, a federal prohibition could become a really big problem. Um, now, we also have, you know, because of politics, we have this Georgia runoff election, you know, the Senate election, and right now Republicans have 50 Republican senators, there's 48 Democratic senators, and these two will determine whether Republicans or Democrats control. And, and so control is a big thing, but we need that control as Republicans and as pro-energy um, states to prevent any drastic lawmaking that, uh, you know, that would try to satisfy the Green New Deal uh, proponents, for example. So, um, you know, elections have consequences. And, and while a Biden-Harris administration will be able to use their executive powers in, in lots of ways, at the very least, if we maintain control of the United States Senate, we can prevent big policy changes and, you know, additional taxes or 
um, you know, like say Green New Deal types of legislation. Now, for, from a market perspective, we, we were, you know, the COVID-19 um, pandemic has clearly demonstrated and illustrated and highlighted the vulnerability of supply chains. So it's, it seems like, you know, right now, I think oils, as we record this, somewhere around 46 $47 a barrel. I mean, 50 would be better, but it's a, at least it's much better than it was when it was negative. And, and I think we've seen, you know, we've worked hard. I worked very hard on bringing Saudi Arabia a little closer to in compliance. Um, but but we're, we're bringing oil inventory numbers down with prices improving. But then you have New York and California and Europe announcing more restrictions on their economies and citizens and, and then price, you know, comes back down. Um, the vaccine is hopefully will provide some of what people are looking for to eliminate the COVID-19 restrictions. And then we get activity, get market back. The, the biggest problem we have in the oil industry and to, from a pricing standpoint is that it, it, there's market share, obviously, and in, in that, that uh, demand is way down because travel is way down. I travel every week, as you know, and so I, I can see it pretty clearly. So May 21, I think futures were at 47 uh, a couple of days ago. It's, it's the highest price on the chart, so uh, we've got a little ways to go. Um, but I'd also be watching, Jason, from a policy standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint, to see what Iran, Russia, Saudi Arabia do, and what a Biden-Harris administration would do to, in response, because we already know that um, the Biden-Harris administration wants to re-engage Iran, for example. And Iran has already upped their, they've announced what they want to do in terms of upping their production once the sanctions are lifted. And Iran, you know, becomes a pretty major player, pretty major competitor. Saudi Arabia has been playing okay since they pulled off the, you know, uh, the bait and switch on us with Russia here earlier this year, which caused this firestorm. And, you know, I, I will just gladly tell you, I now have the cell number of the Saudi Saudi princess who is the ambassador <laughs> to the United States, and we talk pretty regularly. So we are we have a little friendlier relationship now, but... Um, you know, if they decide to turn the spigots back on, uh, we could be in a lot of trouble. So um, production is, I think, around 11 million barrels per day, which is up from 9.7 million at a slow in August, but it's down from 13.1 million barrels per day. It's high in, in February, March. So we're going to see how these nations play, and, and um, you know, politics matters. Well, there's certainly... The demand in energy isn't going away. And when you look at China's population, the majority of them, by the way, are aging uh, with the one-child policy they've had for a long time. India's right. growing. You've got the United States baby boomers. They outnumber Generation X and, and the millennials pretty good so that, you know, the baby boomers are aging. The, po- the, 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 globe, is, the globe is aging. And so the healthcare facilities are going to need more uh, energy. And if you go take a look at any municipality, generally it's emergency services and healthcare facilities that make up most of your power grid. Uh, with that being said, I, I just, I look at the, the world of business and some of the, you know, regulations that we were talking about. There was a, a gentleman, uh, Ray Scott out of Colorado. He's a, a house uh, Senate over there on uh, Grand Junction, I think District 45. Yep. Maybe. I, I, I've met, in fact, I had lunch, breakfast with him once in Grand Junction. I was there on behalf of 
um, the Trump campaign four years ago, doing an energy. Okay, he, he was on about uh, February this time last year, or this year, and he made a great comment, which is the market isn't the issue, legislation is the issue. And I thought that was such a great comment because, you know, there is a demand out there for a better quality of life, whether it's from heating our homes or driving our vehicles or getting our goods and services delivered especially now, to our doorstep. Right. Uh, What's missing with this administration? What's not connecting with a lot of uh, some of the environmentalists? I saw North Face came out and said, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with fossil fuels anymore, but, you know, we'll certainly take your orders and deliver them to you. You know, the hypocrisy (laughs) is just getting out there. (laughs) No, Jason, there's such a disconnect. Um, Part of the problem is you take a North Face as an example or any other major retailer or distributor of some type, um, and I deal with this in the banking side in a big way, big, big way. I'm always fighting the, the major banks, trying to remind them of their obligation to provide capital to legal businesses and not make these decisions, investment decisions, based on political pressure from from other folks. But all of that, whether it's political pressure, whether it's... it's um, you know, pressure from environmental extremists or, uh, you know, even, even in, uh, you know, proxies and proxy wars that a lot of these companies have to deal with. Um, it all creates some market. It either distorts a natural market. Well, usually that is the case. It'll distort a nat- nat- uh, natural market. So it's clear that, that some of these companies are responding to that. But to, to the senator's point, um, to Ray's point, you have... You also have uh, policy that weighs in on that. Policy can either clear the way for a free market or it can distort markets with, with regulations and, and tax policy and credits. And so we all have to be working on that. I think to the point of um, the market, you know, it's not so much about demand. There is a demand shortage as a result of people not traveling. But on the trucking side, you're exactly right. As there's less and less uh, small town Main Street retail, and there's more and more box store, um, Amazon. There still is a you, you need to move product, and so there is a disconnect. There's a hypocrisy that is very rich, and I think to the degree we can do it, and you know, folks like you do it very well, provide a forum to point out that hypocrisy and bring people back to a, a more reasonable discussion about things that matter to them, whether it's traditional air pollution or greenhouse gas emissions, you know, the methane versus, you know, CO2, um, you know, what's reality in terms of grid reliability, uh, clean coal technologies and innovations that are every bit as, as emission-free as others and, and better for the grid. These sort of in-depth discussions of science and technology, absent hypocrisy, um, can be very valuable. It's just that there are very few forms today where that happens. Concluding here with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Appreciate the time today. I wanted to wrap up with kind of a probably the toughest question we have today because it's you know industries going went through a lot in the last year to the tune to where we started seeing some some government intrusion. Uh, in Texas, they, even the Railroad Commission met several times about controlling production. Yes. And I'll, uh, we, we tried to talk about this a little bit, and it's a sore subject. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you kind of 
kind of referee it a little bit or talk about it a little bit because it is it's 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 at a crossroads let's put it this way uh mike summers from api the president of api i'll never forget this story came out about the texas railroad commission stepping in control and production and i swear to you that reporter didn't even finish the sentence and he was already saying government stay out you know that was the old school (laughs) way government stay out Well, then about a week later, you had Matt Gallagher, uh, CEO of Parsley Energy, pop up on CNBC talking about, well, maybe we should have the government step in and control production. And I thought, well, that's pretty good for you, man, because you're one of the big guys. But the little guys who are out there hustling, they're probably going to get left out. Well, then a few you know months later, and by, by the way, Matt was scheduled to come on the show here. And then all of a sudden, he just they, they, his, his people just ghosted us. Well, then they sold. And I thought, okay, well, the frac sand industry just sharpened their pencils again for the fifth time in the last six years. Yeah. The truckers, I don't even want to get into the truckers, how they've sacrificed. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure, you know, we, we've heard a lot about a lot of these executives getting bonuses and not having to face the music and a few other things. And I thought, this is a really good example why accessibility is important. So again, thank you, Senator Kramer. But again, it kind of demonstrates how the government can kind of pick winners and losers without even trying. It's just there's certain ways and certain businesses are already in motion that need to be saved sometimes. And that's difficult for a lot of people to understand. But I thought that was a great example of how Mike Summers immediately came out and said, no, the market will take care of it. Well, then it got to the point to where there was so much intrusion here and there that what was the what was what was the market now? What was it? So, talk to me a little bit about how we can navigate going into next year, where the industry isn't really sure how to handle when the market steps in. Because by the way, North Dakota, it's working great, and in Wyoming, it's going great, and in Texas, I don't even think they really pulled the trigger on it, but it caused some problems. So, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Are you following me? I, I, I do. I do know what you're talking about, and it is very complex. And part of the problem is, remember, two things. First of all, remember in in the era of scarcity, when the United States was dependent on Middle Eastern oil, Middle Eastern countries, which are not free market, countries, they're, they're oil states, they're petrol states, they controlled the price. And they, they controlled the price by controlling the, you know, the access to the product, mainly on the supply side. And they dictated to us what we'd be paying for oil and natural gas and, and, and the refined products. Then all of a sudden, you know, in the Trump era, we become a net exporter. We're, we now are energy dominant. So, but, but remembering that there, there are the economics of, of oil out of a, a shale play versus oil out of the sands of Saudi Arabia are different by hundreds of several hundred percent different economically. So you can still suck it out of the sand in Saudi Arabia, put it on barges and send it to the United States. In some cases, cheaper than you can produce it in Texas and ship it to Houston. You know, and so you have these you have these market forces, but none of those market forces are completely pure. In fact, they're nowhere near pure. I would submit to you this, first of all, this fundamental, this working theory that I work off of. And, it, and I would love to take credit for it, but it was former Governor George Sinner, who, in a speech that I heard once, and I'm sure he said it many times, but I was just a young guy, a young political, trying to do everything I could to make sure that people like him never got elected again, in full disclosure. He said something very profound in a speech that I've never forgotten. He said, every sophisticated country in the world will always protect 
its food supply and its energy supply. Because if you never wanted to be dependent on others for it, and we've done that in this country, we still are, you know, we're 20% of the world's economy, but we're only 5% of the world's, of the world's um, population. But you, that still means that there's, you know, um, 95% of the world that lives somewhere else. And when you're overproducing, when you're producing like we are, you, you want to have access to all of those other markets. And so now policy and geopolitics enter into it. Never mind the fact that the, that the you know, the main players, the main um, international players in this industry come from very unstable parts of the world. Okay, why do I throw all that as sort of the, you know, sort of the grounding, the, the foundation for it? You, when you're dealing on the international stage, you need government because government matters. We fight wars over oil. At least we used to fight wars over, over oil. We don't have to so much anymore. Um, so, so is the market really truly free? Well, during this, this time when you're talking to Mike and he's saying, you no, know, let the market decide we shouldn't control supply from in the United States, I, I agree with him. But we also have to remember what we should be able to control is how much we still import. So just giving the most recent numbers, on, uh, I referenced earlier December 11th, the, the WTI price on the board was about just under $47 a barrel. In North Dakota, the light suite on that same day it was about $37, so $10 less. But we were still importing, oh, about 336,000, so I mean million, 3 million um, 336,000 barrels of oil into the United States. So here we are a net exporter, but we're still importing somebody else's cheaper oil because our refiners, refineries are set up for that. I do think it's entirely appropriate for a country to use its resources to help the domestic supply remain robust. First of all, so we're never dependent on others, especially others that, that, that you know are not our, our allies, but our adversaries. Places like Iran, Russia, um, you know, even frankly Venezuela. So we should never be dependent on them. We shouldn't have to be dependent on them. I do think government intervention in that sense is appropriate. I don't think we ought to, sh you know, force our refiners or force our producers to produce less. We ought to make way, make sure that our consumers are using our products first as, as often as possible. And your illustration up front is really an important one. You might recall that in March, I helped organize along with Larry Kudlow, a meeting in the cabinet room in the White House with President Trump. And in that meeting, there were a whole bunch of CEOs of major oil companies and a couple of my colleagues, uh, Dan Sullivan was there from Alaska and Ted Cruz from Texas. And then Harold Hamm and um, uh, one other uh, independent producer from Alaska and Kelsey Warren from, from ETP was there. Otherwise, it was all multinationals. And the difference between a, a domestic producer, exclusive domestic producer like Harold Hamm versus, and I'll leave out the names of the others, but uh, these multinationals, these multinationals, they have business in all these other countries too. So for them... You know, some of this stuff that we're talking about isn't all that beneficial. There's no, there is no disincentive for them to continue or to, to not produce somewhere else, but instead produce in the United States of America. That was sort of a convoluted explanation of the of the dynamics. It's woefully inadequate, but 
I, I worry a lot. I think the independent oil man is worth saving, Jason, at the end of the day. I think that having a supply chain that is, is, that is American, largely American, remember, the, in, the supply chain, the value chain of energy produced in the United States of America includes every single state in our country. Whether it's the financing, whether it's the steel that goes into the pipe, whether it's the, 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 the you know, the little valves that get produced or, or, you know, any number of things of the food, as you, you know, the restaurants, the, 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 uh, retailers. I mean, there's no end to the supply chain for American made energy and our economy is directly tied to it in a, not an insignificant way, but in a major way. And so we can all talk about free markets all we want, but remembering that the world does not share our same values and, and we we are smart, wise, I think, to come up with public policies that knock down barriers to entry, but also that protect the, um, the small, diverse, diverse producers. Here's the problem if we don't do that. Where we'll head and where we'll get eventually and we're on our way, you'll have like four major global oil companies or oil and gas companies in the world, they'll decide where they're going to drill and they're going to drill wherever the investment reaps the best reward. And then you lose that entire value chain, the entire supply chain that's so critical to a dynamic economy. And you, we don't want that. You just literally answered my next question because I was going to say the thing about the crude life and the oil and gas industry that really has attracted me is capitalism. And what I mean by capitalism is you can take any old roughneck who's been working any old rig, and after 10 years of looking at that same vibrating tube, he's figured out a way because of the way his mind works without a college education, he's figured out a way to make that tube go twice as fast and twice as efficient. And pretty soon, the company that hired him and employs him doesn't want to steal the idea from him. They want to empower him in his local community. And pretty soon, that roughneck without a college education has 15 employees and a you know, $1.5 million company, and he's a very good contributor to his local community. And if all of a sudden that guy goes through a little bit of a downturn, well, generally that oil and gas company will do everything it can to make sure that they stay in touch with him and keep him somewhat connected through their connections or something else. Now, they're not into handouts. Don't get me wrong. They're not into handouts. Right. They're, they're into enabling opportunity and also taking care of community building. And that's a part that I have not seen in a lot of other industries is that community building part that the oil and gas co companies seem to do. Uh, with, with I, I call it the last bastion for capitalism, to be honest. That's why I was so um, focused on the Mike Summers and, and the Matt Gallagher complete, you know, different dichotomy that's there. Because when you take a look at Texas, man, they're still wildcatting down there, okay? North, yeah, North right. Dakota is pretty much turned it into a commodity where they know where most of the oil is and that sort of thing. And they know how to get it. Yep. And they know how to get it. Then you go to Alaska where it's state-owned oil. It's the people own it. And what, do you got two companies up there? Two oil companies, BP and Shell, and that's about it. So I look at just the, the transition of those. And what you said is right, that if we keep going the direction we're going, we will have a handful of companies that control 90 to 95% of the global oil supply. So I just thought that was the Texas to Alaska analogy might be something that people in the United States could take a look at. What do you think on that? 
I, I think it's a great point. And I think North Dakota is the perfect laboratory because we do have all of them. We have all sizes, as you know. And, and I, I'll go back to this often. You know, there's a reason North Dakota doesn't allow corporate farming. And we can argue philosophically why, why that's good or why that's bad. But the diversity of a network of family farms provides a security that is not provided if you have a bunch of giant corporate farms. The best case scenario, the best illustration probably is in the beef business and the meat packing business where we're now down to four major meat packers. So what's happened as a result of that is uh, the, that lack of diversity means that the rancher doesn't get enough money to earn a living, but the price of a steak goes up. Well, that's exactly what will happen in, in the oil industry. The, if we get down to a handful of major global producers, they're going to go to where it's cheapest to get the oil. And ultimately, when there are very few of them, and by the way, these are vertically integrated companies that also own the shipping companies, they own the refineries, they own the pipelines, and they own the gas stations. They have their brand on the on the their logo on the on the pumps. There, ultimately, that will lead to a higher price. Stuart Varney asked me one day. He said, "But Senator," he said on his show, he said, "I kind of like this, uh, you know, dollar fifty gas or two dollars." you know, a gallon gas, don't you? And I said, well, sure, I like it when I'm filling my tank, but I'm not going to like the $6 gas that's going to come when you kill all of the small producers and ExxonMobil gets to decide the global price for everybody. Um, and then all of a sudden you're going to long for $3 gas, which might provide an opportunity for everybody to to be successful. So it's, um, you know, sort of economics 101, but... Uh, uh, you know, our, our, our brand of capitalism um, can collapse when capitalism is replaced with greed, and we need to be very careful to avoid that. Wrapping up here, who's some of the leaders that uh, the oil and gas industry should be looking out for, names in the headlines, if you will? Of course, Senator Kramer, you're one of them. You're out there busy as, as can be, sticking up uh, for the energy industry. So who are some of the other ones? Yeah, some of the people I work closely with, let, let me go to a Democrat first, which is going to seem really strange. But um, Sheldon Whitehouse, who, as you know, he, he, he is a serious, serious climate change <laughs> advocate. He's, he's not for climate change, but advocating uh, that we need to do more for, to, to stop climate change. But, to, but what I like about Sheldon is, and I, and I serve with him uh, on the Environment and Public Works Committee, Sheldon is he's intellectually honest. Um, I think some of his theories are bizarre, but he's been very helpful in trying to work with us on things like 45Q legislation and rules. And that 45Q is, is a tax credit for carbon capture, utilization, and storage. In other words, um, he wants to see clean coal technologies. And then, you know, another uh, colleague of mine on that committee who's a Democrat, Ben Cardin, uh, he's working closely with me on things like um, the appropriate tax treatment of of, um, of nuclear energy. You know, there are other forms of carbon-free energy than just wind and solar. And so, guys like that, you need to you know, they're they're people we can work with. 
Senator Manchin, Joe Manchin, another Democrat who's on, he's the ranking Democrat in, in the Energy and Natural Resource Committee. He and I work closely together on a number of things. But the real stars in my mind, Senator John Barrasso from Wyoming, I've had the opportunity to serve with him as he's chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee. Next year, he'll serve as chairman of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, sit on both committees. He, he has worked very closely with me on a lot of things. Obviously, Wyoming and North Dakota have a lot in common. Uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capital of West Virginia will now become the, likely become the chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee next year. Um, and uh, Tom Carper, the uh, Democrat, is the ranking member. He and I have worked closely together. Again, we don't agree on everything, but we're able to find common ground and, and some uh, um, compromise. On the House side, I was really pleased to see that uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers from the state of, of Washington became the uh, ranking Republican on the Energy and Commerce Committee. And I know Kathy very well. We'll work closely with her. Uh, Greg Walden, the former chairman and former ranking member, is retiring after this year. So uh, I'd watch for Frank Pallone. He's a congressman um, who's the or the ranking, or I mean the, the chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. And uh, this is a lot of really good people uh, that we work closely with out there. We'll see who the uh, Biden administration puts up for leadership at DOE. And uh, EPA, uh, you know, they'll be more difficult to work with, no doubt. But um, we have plenty of allies to make sure that the, uh, the oil and gas industry remains viable. But the most important thing is that the markets remain viable, that demand remains viable. we got to wipe out this crazy COVID-19 so that people can get on airplanes again and, and go to Disney World and, you know, and we have international travel again and, um, those jet airplanes burn a lot of fuel, and they're never going to fly on solar power. Are we at the point where it's going to take the vaccine to get the economy going, or is it... Uh... Well, it's interesting you ask that. The vaccine certainly will help. And even, you know, even some of the other measures, we, what we need is for people to feel comfortable um, again getting in their cars and driving to places. Restaurants have to be open. To, you know, there's no point in driving to a restaurant if it's not open. Um, Disney World needs to be at full capacity or there's, you know, you're never going to have the type of, of energy use that you'd have when it's, when it's wide open. Uh, cruise lines, like I said, you know, airplanes, jets. I mean, we need all of that stuff to be operating. That'll only operate when people are comfortable. Or for that matter, when the industries are comfortable um, letting people letting people in, so to speak. So, But a lot of that's driven by mayors and governors. And in my view, a lot of them have been way too restrictive and uh, it hasn't really worked. <laughs> I know they all point to mask mandates and, and the lockdowns as somehow being successful. And if they were successful, there wouldn't be any COVID-19 in Washington, D.C. And yet Washington, D.C., which has had some of the most harsh restrictions throughout several months now, is at a spike. So, um you know the economy has suffered greatly at the hands of of the virus, and more importantly, at the at the unfortunate choices to in its response to the virus. Be nice to get some people back out to to That's work right. and um, and everything. I, th I think I I think some people are using the uh, stimulus and the the uh, desire for another stimulus to stay home, and I think there's a little bit of satiation going on with some people, and if they were not having such easy money that they might be a little more apt to get out into the workplace. Not to downplay the health crisis that's going on, but I think it's uh, there's a little bit of uh, a mixed bag involved there, to be to be honest. But well, there 
some perverse incentives that are built in, Jason. No question about it. Yeah. And we and we shouldn't and we should have learned our lesson the first go around. That's why we're trying to be so careful going forward. You're right. There are people that are really hurting and they need help, and we should be helping them. We, we need to help them. And uh, but there's the best thing for a restaurant, and I'm happy to help. Don't get me wrong. But the best thing would be for them to have customers again. So that ought to be our focus. Let's you know let's get people open. Let's get people back to work. The greatest stimulus check is a paycheck. And uh, in the meantime, we need to build a little bridge to help them get there. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. going to do it for this edition of play hard work hard as we wrap up the final hour of the work hard portion of the program first hour play hard second hour 
work hard. And thank you very much for joining us here. This is our pilot program, folks. We're going to be recording four or five of these up till the first of the year because we got to get our Monday show, our Tuesday show, our Wednesday show, Thursday, Friday. We got to get our templates done, you know, for the different engineering aspects of the program. So, what better way than to give you a pilot, give you an idea what the show is going to be like? It is a Monday through Friday daily show, 90 minutes to 120 minutes. We might even go a little longer at times, depending on how hard we work in that second portion. But the first hour, it's play hard. It's energy, sports, pop culture, events, money, music, live guests, and more. It's play hard time. Then, of course, our hour two, time to work hard, industry experts, newsmaker interviews, and other relevant energy discussions. All right, folks, that's going to do it here today. I'm going to wrap up today's program. Fantastic program today, folks. Thank you very much to everybody who joined the program. From the staff here at The Crude Life, play hard, work hard. We're asking you to make it a great day. And always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Tom Macero with the Great American Mining Company. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Thomas Macero, Great American Mining Company, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Oil and gas companies, maybe to, you know, get some tax money. I don't know. I'm just, any conversations with states on uh, working together? You know, we've had some preliminary conversations with states, but I think after... You know, the crash back this spring, I think a lot of states just were, you know, kind of hunkered down um, and just trying to make sure that they could, you know, deal with their own, um, you know, budget shortfalls and things like that, where, you know, the conversations we were having prior to the crash uh, were much more fruitful. Now we're literally just working directly with producers where we say, hey, um, if you've got trapped gas, you don't have a way to get it to market, you know, via a pipeline or there isn't any collection um, or gathering uh, lines, we'll come in, we'll buy the gas from you, um, where they wouldn't be getting anything uh, in return normally. And that would be going against their, you know, their mandated flaring cap. So uh, that's the, the route that we're taking right now. Um, and like I said, on the calculator that we have on the site, it's a very simple form. You literally, uh, for so for an oil and gas producer, they would fill out, okay, how many um, MCFD on a daily basis you know, are you flaring on a particular pad? You know, I could uh, punch in 200 MCFD. Uh, what is the BTU per scuff? Uh, so, you know, typical is around 1500. And then what is your current net back? And then that's basically whatever their margin or their net is on the gas that they sell. So it won't be, you know, 220 or $2 and 25 cents, which is what, you know, or somewhere in that range, which is 
what the Henry Hub pricing would be. It would be whatever they get back after all the fees and, you know, when they get paid. And so uh, when you run that calculation, uh, we then show you how much money you would be making uh, or losing versus just sending it back into the pipeline. To listen to the full-length interview with Thomas Cerro with Great American Mining Company or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're at thecrudelife.com, be sure to check out our podcast, social media pages, and much, much more. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com.